Welcome back, guys. It is Encounter with God time here on The Breakfast Show. We have a number of text messages to get to. Let's okay, got a whole slew of text messages. Let's get to them. Uh, first one says, I was reading about the Barrier Reef yesterday. In the news, our Prime Minister is fuming about what the Chinese shipping and boats are doing, including dumping tonnes of human waste, which is badly affecting the Barrier <laughs> Reef. Good on him standing up against the bullies like China who are causing trouble worldwide. Mm. And uh, one of the what, this is interesting because the conversation that Lawson and I sort of had off air was, you know, one of the biggest threats that I see, particularly as a Tasmanian coming from Tasmania, where we've had you know a number of invasive species that have entered the Derwent River mm. as a result of shipping, is the tremendous danger that invasive species, you know, and and you all know me, right? Invasive mm. species are my thing. That's what I love to. Uh, it's like just yeah, kill you're, them all. yeah, nuke the lot. <laughs> That's your hill to die on. Is yes, invasive invasive species. species just just wipe them off the face of the planet. Uh, because we have a beautiful country here in Australia yeah, right. and we should protect it. Mm. Um, and that's one of the things that I see with the increase in shipping. Um, and, and we were sort of coming up with our off-air solutions. Yeah. Like well, the other pr- Increased trains down to Brisbane because it's yeah. just like mudflats. Who cares? The other problem with increased shipping is increased um, chance of collisions, of spills, of, you know, because at the moment we have 11,000 movements a year through these mm. sections. Which is a lot. And it's, it's a like, lot. And it's like, well, yeah, as we were trying to say, why can't we, you know, reduce that by creating some kind of system where we're actually, instead of increasing the amount of channels that we're digging in this area to protect the shipping, why don't we just move away from it so that we don't... Yeah, make make, make Brisbane bigger. <laughs> yeah, basically. I don't know. Maybe these are impractical suggestions, but our barrier reef is just a special place. It is. It's something that's worth protecting. Yeah. All right, gambling legislation sounds good, but gamblers have a problem they can't control themselves. If they really want to help them uh, bar them from all gambling for the sake of their families and the gamblers blocking their credit cards against gambling venues, this sounds drastic, but the government has been uh, doing this to the alcohol problem in Indigenous communities. This goes against all I believe about freedom of choice, but remember these people are unwell and need our help. Consider that today the whole world is in lockdown for our health's sake. Mm. And so that's an interesting observation that if you can do a lockdown for people's health and we know that this, you know, gambling and alcoholism are a public health issue, mm. then why can't we do the same thing there? And it's ultimately, you know, we had the the conversation yesterday about, you know, pornography for children and, and yes. why people aren't motivated to to get rid of the problem. Because they're the ones who are looking at the, who, the pornography. Yeah, and it's, again, the government... They're the consumers. The consumers like, are not going to legislate against something that they are consuming. You know, I'm, I'm really interested to see... You mentioned before the uh, Royal Commission into the Crown Casino. I'm really... I'm interested to see how far they go with that because I think eventually with that, it's so clearly legislatively at least and some of the legislation that has surrounded the Crown Casino protecting it for years, I'm like, dude, if you dig deep enough, you're you're going to find the government. Oh, you absolutely. Dude, like 100%. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you're going to find the New South Wales government. Like this is this is my this is my claim. So, if so, not if not the federal government going back, maybe not. But, yeah, you know. But ultimately, it's like, dude, like these guys. And you're gonna find both sides. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like yeah. you know, we're not playing favorites here. No. This is just how this is yes. just how it works. It's it's a revenue stream That's for our is. government. So it's like you Vortex. know what. Ultimately, the 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 ultimate thing is what motivation do they have to do it? Well, none really. Yeah. And so and so, I guess yeah, to them anyway, it's the. 
it, isn't it crazy? Like we're in lockdown, right? They've become and, addicted to. They've become addicted to the tax revenue, and now they can't shake that addiction. Yeah. Well, but you know, it becomes more that well, an addiction becomes a reliance ultimately. Yeah. And I'm sure that it's big enough for them that they can't just do away with it. It's like, oh no, this, you know, this this. This is a whole this, bunch of things the government is not going to be able to afford to do if gambling closes down and they are not able to cash in on people's misery. Yeah, well, yikes. <laughs> and if they're not able to afford to do those things, they will lose votes and then they will be out of power and it all comes down to power and votes and money. Yep, that's right. All right, ecumenism sounds good, but remember it roots all good intentions, but it was a master plan to bring churches back to Rome invented by the Jesuits. The proof is in the pudding. Where are the great majority of Protestant churches today, with or against the Roman Church? Mm-hmm. So interesting one right there. I think there's probably a lot more to it than just the Jesuits. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Jesuits involved, for sure, absolutely. Uh, did we need to have an ecumenical movement? To some extent, we did. Mm. Uh, I'm old enough to remember the troubles in Northern Ireland. My father is old enough to remember when you didn't speak to Roman Catholics. Yeah, wow. Well. You know, when you were at school, you were kids, it was like, oh, they're Catholics, you know, they're Papists, you don't talk to the Papists. Yeah, wow. Well. Um, you know, and, and that was a very, very unhealthy environment. And that still persists. Mm. You know, maybe not between Protestants and Catholics anymore, but between Christians and Muslims. I think the problems of ecumenism is kind of found in what we're talking about just with gambling in the government is that ultimately like any one of these programs or systems or whatever it may be corrupts when it's used by people to leverage power yep um and and that's and that's like you know that's my worry for ecumenism going into the future and i think you know where it stops working is that when you bring a group of people together that you can never foster a situation where everyone has the same say yes. like that that's the reality you know uh, like centralization of 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 religion can only lead to well then someone has to take charge and that's what i'm worried about and then and then you you end up reducing freedoms and then it's yeah so yeah i mean revelation 13 revelation 16 you know you've basically got the religions of the world coming together Mm. you know um there's spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. That's three different religious organisations or three different religious entities that summarise the religions of the entire world. Mm. All uniting together to unite the political leaders of the world together. Yeah, to lead the world astray. To lead the world, to set the world up in battle against God. And so you see the ecumenical movement and there are some very necessary and positive things about the ecumenical movement and we need to be sitting down with people of other faiths so that we can understand Mm. them, uh, so that we're not, you know, discriminating and, you know... uh, all of this kind of thing. Which is an incredibly biblical principle. You know, you look at Paul, I became all thing to all men, you know. Yes, but then we need to maintain our fidelity to the word of God. That's right. Mm -hmm. According to our conscience. Mm -hmm. And each person needs to do that rather than just like, yeah, water it down, doesn't matter. It's just all about community. That's about truth. Dude, there can never be a... Like community being important, but your relationship with God is not found in the community. Yeah. It's found, you know, in your relationship with God. All right. Powerful. Uh, Atheists can't prove God does not exist. On top of that, what do they have to offer the world in his place? Darkness and a life without hope. (laughs) Yep, that's that's a fact. 
is a, that's and this a zinger is the thing. right there. This is the thing. Chris, a relationship with God is something that is experienced. Mm. And something that you experience yourself is something that you experience. It's not something that you prove. It's something you experience. Mm-hmm. You know, you have all kinds of experiences every yes. day yeah. that you can't prove to me because you experience them. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. Mm. All right. Uh, our job, it's our job to look after the environment, but one day God's restoration is going to be absolutely incredible, incredible and unmatched. That's from Brett. That's right. I would agree. I'm 100%. Mm-hmm. And so it's one, of those, it's one of those weird things in Christianity because like, oh, you know, it's all going to get burned anyway, so why worry yeah. about it? Well, the reality is that God has entrusted it into our uh-huh. care. It is our responsibility to look after our planet. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. All right, trying to prove, this is an interesting one, trying to prove God exists only leads to churches filled with unconverted people wanting to be on the right side. That one's from Braden. I, I, okay. I can see where he's coming from this. Yeah. I've not thought about it that way before. Neither have I. And so but I, I, what I'm sort of reading between the lines here is that it's filled with, it fills churches with people who are good apologists rather than people who have a relationship with God. I, I would say, you know, in response to that, I would say this, that um, God himself proves himself, like, you know, and, and tries to. And, you know, I did a Bible study yesterday with someone on Daniel chapter 2. Mm-hmm. You're reading Bible prophecy, and the express purpose of Bible prophecy is, yes, to give meaning and purpose to those who are going to experience those events, but also to give tangible and testable evidence to prove that God is who he is. That's what Jesus says in John fourteen twenty nine. You know, I say these things before they come to pass, so that when they come to pass, you may believe. Mm-hmm. Like God giving ev- like in making the clear statement that the reason for prophecy is so that when those things happen, we can believe, which is you know, following the evidence, proving that God exists. And so, but it's definitely a balance then because it's like you come to a a conclusion that, oh, if God is able to do these things and he has proved to me that he really is who he says he is by doing supernatural things, which we see in the word of God, prophecy, Mm -hmm. then it's like, oh, I can trust him and have faith when I face my struggles and challenges, just like Daniel did, right? Like in that story, you know, he gives him the the dream of of the statue, right? And it's like, it goes on to speak about, Two two and a half thousand years of history that proves God exists, but leading up to that point, Daniel had to walk in absolute faith. Yes, like knowing that God would save his life, that He would give him, you know, that dream and that vision. Like th- it was faith that preceded that, and so we need to walk a, a walk of both. That's yes, my yes, opinion. we need to have we need to have good apologetic arguments for the existence of God. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we need to have a relationship with God. Yes. You need that both. <laughs> Amen. Okay, what's Bruce got to say here? Gambling is similar to back in the day of slavery. Oof. They were making good money off it, so they didn't want to get rid of it. Wow. Now, that's actually a really interesting comment because, you know, when the Constitution was um, first written for the United States, because that's probably the most famous country when it comes to slavery because, you know, they, they talk so much about freedom and yet they had slavery and so they had this very uh, schizophrenic relationship with freedom, whereas other countries, they didn't have that relationship. So, you know, say countries like Brazil, which had slavery, slavery for decades longer than the United States, mm. uh, they've never had that issue because they've never proclaimed freedom, you know. Yeah, 
They've never, they've never stood up as being the bastions of freedom. But when the United <laughs> States Constitution was written, where you know all men are created equal with inalienable yeah, well. rights, they knew and understood the the the. The, the writers of that constitution knew and understood and believed that that applied to every race, including yes. the Africans who were slaves in their country. Mm. And what happened was that George Washington recognised that, okay, we've got a brand new country here, it's 13 colonies, we have fought an expensive war, we're on the verge of going broke, and the plantation owners said, look, if you, if you enforce this constitution straight away, this brand new country is going to collapse financially. Mm. And so then he gave them a stay of like, okay, you can, you, you're not allowed to import any more from Africa, but you can keep the ones you've already got for the time being. Or I think it was for four years or something rather that was then increased for another four years and then was just increased indefinitely until they ended up having a civil war. Yeah, wow. You know, and so this was not something that was not understood by the by the uh, founders of the Constitution in the United States, uh, but as you say, they were making good money off it, so they didn't want to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. That's what it came down to. Yeah, and you know there were there were good intentions in the in the beginning, but it's it, yeah heavy. Yes, indeed. We need to get to our Bible study. We've got a whole band. It's good to have all of these messages coming through. We love hearing from you guys, so don't be shy. Send your messages through. Send your thoughts through. Uh, we will sometimes agree with them and sometimes disagree with them, but that's what it's all about. <laughs> we'll talk about them. We will talk about them. We will read your messages here. This is an open line. You get to have your say. We've been talking about forgiveness this week. We've yes, been t- particularly right. looking at Joseph and just the level of forgiveness that you know he offers his brothers. Mm. These guys sold him into slavery. And he not only forgives them, but he sets them up, you know, in the best land during a time of, you know, terrible famine and hardship for them. They are, you know, he brings them down to Egypt. He basically treats them as well as they could possibly be treated. Mm. And uh, just an amazing, amazing example that we have there of forgiveness. Let's go to Luke chapter 23. We've got a few different verses we're going to look at this morning. But we're going to look at uh, this one to begin with, Luke uh, 23 and verse 34. Luke 23 and verse 34, the Bible says, Jesus said, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice or casting lots. All right, so Jesus is hanging on the cross right here. Mm. And uh, what prayer is he praying and who is he praying it for? He's praying that God would forgive those who have crucified him. Okay, so he's praying for the Roman soldiers who are casting lots. Yeah. They're at the bottom they're at the bottom of the cross. They're like they get to keep the possessions of the criminal. Mm. Criminal doesn't own much. Single piece of cloth. Kind of like a bed sheet. Yeah. No seam in it. So basically a bed sheet. It's all he owns. And so they're like, Well, how do we divide this up? We can't we don't want to tear it into strips. Mm. So they kind of flip a coin for it. Mm. And, you know, obviously looking at Jesus as being dirt, as being the worst kind of criminal because only, you know, the the purpose for crucifixion was to make a public, a very, very public and horrific demonstration of don't ever think about doing this because this is how you will end up. Mm. And so it was reserved for the worst of the worst of the worst criminals that, you know, the empire felt that they needed to make an example of. Mm. And so you can imagine that the Roman soldiers, they're going to have no compassion for this guy because it's like, well, he must be, you know, a really horrifically bad bad person. 
Yeah, wow. You know, it was kind of like it was kind of like lynching, you know, back in the day. Mm. It's like we're going to make we're going to make this person die very slowly and very publicly and we are going to put the fear into everybody around so that they don't go and do what this person did. Um, you know, and they'd be nailed up there, the public spectacle for a long time, you know, the birds would eat them, you know, all that kind of stuff would go on. And so the soldiers at the bottom of the cross, they don't, they don't care. Yeah. This is like, this guy's nothing. Let's, you know, take whatever he's got. Yeah, especially like, you know, they're seeing this as a very Jewish problem. Yep. Like, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> How do you think they responded when Jesus said this? When he says, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. How do you think the soldiers felt when Jesus said this? Well, you know, assuming that they heard him. Yeah, they would yeah, under that. Yeah, we're under that assumption because obviously uh, the disciples heard him because they recorded it. Mm. But yeah, I, I I I assume that they're they're sitting at the bottom of the cross. They've heard him say that, and they like they would have been so surprised. Would never I, have heard that before from a criminal. Yeah, right. Like. Ah, oh, so interesting. You know, particularly because, and we see that when we then like focus on the thieves on the on each side of the cross. Yes, and look at their responses to that's being right. crucified. You know, and and to being next to Jesus and seeing the spectacle that's being made out of him. You know, particularly in the religious sense, and one of the criminals is like, "Oh, come on, get yourself off the cross." He's like joining into the the hysteria of the crowd um, of of basically accusing Jesus of not being the Son of God. Yes, um, but. You know, if if Jesus really wasn't the Son of God, if he was just a common criminal, he had he has no reason to say this or be this compassionate or None. forgiving or anything. And so, I I feel like it would have had a really you know heavy impact on them. They would have heard that and been so I, I would say like confused, almost shocked. Just like it's like why are we crucifying this guy again? Somebody remind me what kind yeah. of criminal he is. It was you know kind of the the reaction that we saw from Joseph's brothers when he reveals his identity and they're all speechless and they're like, what is going on? Why isn't he killing us? Like, um, it's, it's, I would assume it's a similar thing. And I would say that this has a major impact on the centurion who, when Mm. Jesus dies and he sees, you know, he sees all of the evidences, he sees the darkness, he experiences the earthquake. You know, there's a lot of things that are going on right there. And he's like, yeah, you know what? This person was definitely the son of God. Yeah. Mm. Surely this person was the son of God. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's only one of two people who recognize that, himself and the thief. Mm. And so, you know, this is a, just an incredibly powerful testimony that Jesus does here when he forgives. And this shows the mm. power of forgiveness and what it can actually accomplish in people's lives. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. That's right. Okay, Brett says this, proving... Proving God may be pointless because Jesus himself used parables that seeing they may see. Mm. I think everyone has enough proof but not enough desire. Oh, 100%. Like, 100%. Nailed it. Like, Nailed it right there. It, it, there are so Brett, many well things that you can apply that to. Yes. Like of having enough resources but not having enough desire. I feel like this is a really Western problem. Like, yes. you know. As particularly in Australia, you have the ability to, to go to university, to get a job, to, to do this, to do that, you know, eat healthy, 
diet exercise, like all these kinds of things. And yet, like we struggle so much with the desire to be able to do that. And God definitely falls into that category. Yes. Okay, so getting back to our Bible study. Uh, we've got this passage here. Jesus is being nailed to the cross and he's saying, <laughs> yeah. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If we look at, and this is a contrast between the story of Joseph and the story of Jesus. By the time Joseph, by the time we see the evidence of Joseph's forgiveness, mm-hmm. decades have passed. Yeah. We, we have this saying that time heals wounds. Yeah, right. He's become prime minister. Mm. What does he care? Mm. And you could say, well, you know, time has healed the wounds. The fact that he's incredibly powerful and wealthy. Yeah, he's got a pretty good. Easy way, yeah. easy thing. Now, we know that he only became prime minister because he forgave his brothers a long time ago. But you could argue that, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, why not just forgive your brothers and move on if you're in that kind of circumstance? Yeah. But when does Jesus forgive? Immediately. <laughs> While the nails the- are being driven in. Yeah, wow. So then what does that say about when we should forgive? Immediately. Immediately. You know, obviously as well, on the other side of that coin, like, yeah, God expects us to forgive immediately, but he also wants to work in our hearts and help us to achieve that because the reality is, like, we're broken and fallen human beings who often don't forgive immediately, you know, and that's our downfall, um, and God wants to help us through that. But our ultimate example is, dude, Jesus is hanging on the cross. Like, he is given... Everything, and it's not just that he's been wrongfully crucified, like he's being crucified and he will die for their sins. Mm -hmm. Like he's Mm -hmm. giving literally everything for them and they're casting lots at his feet and dividing his clothes and accusing him and it's wild, man. All right, let's go to uh, Luke chapter 6 and verse 28. What have you got for us there? Uh, Luke 6 and verse 28. Let me turn back a couple pages. Luke 6. Verse 28, as I get it up here. Um, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. And Matthew 5, verse 44. Matthew 5, 44. You know, I'd love to hear from somebody who's actually put this into practice. Have you ever done this? Have you ever, you know, uh, blessed somebody that was, you know, really trying to destroy you and and prayed for them? And, And how did that experience go? Read for us, Matthew 5, 44. Matthew 5, verse 44. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Wow. Do good to those that despitefully use you. Mm. Has anybody ever had somebody who was using them really badly, um, like just horribly, and they do something good for them? Oof. You know, I feel like often, you know, when we're in that situation, it's easy for us to kind of default to serving them justice and we can make a case of, oh, yeah, no, this is the Christian thing to do that we that we forgive but not forget. We'll serve them justice, distance ourselves, da-da-da-da-da, whatever it may be. But then this is making the point going, which, which definitely has its place, don't get me yes. wrong. But then this is making the point of like, oh, yeah, and bless them. Do good things to them. Be good to them. Man, that's heavy. Really heavy stuff. Mm. Really, really heavy stuff. Okay, so we've got some some uh, challenges here, and we can look at it and we say, well, you know, it's impossible. Mm. You know, and I often think that when it comes to forgiveness, and particularly, you know, taking that next step after forgiveness, where we actually, you know, pray for people, do good things for people, bless people that are our our, our enemies, we say, you know, that's impossible. Mark ten verse twenty seven. Mark 10, verse 27. I'll flick over the page. Um, Mark 20, verse 27. 
Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is possible, um, but uh, but but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Okay, so is it impossible? I mean, we look at it and we say, nah, yeah, nah, that's just impossible. <laughs> is it impossible? Yeah. That's what Jesus is saying here. Like, it is possible, but with God, everything is possible. Yes, mm. and that's the key right there when it comes to mm. forgiveness. And some people, you know, they've asked me from time to time, I think we had this question came through during the N.Digital, and it's like, how do I forgive someone mm. who's done wrong against me? How do I um, how do I pray for somebody who's done wrong to me? And how do I actually experience that in my heart? And, mm. you know, the answer really is quite simple, and that is to take it to God in prayer, take it in, to God in prayer on a regular basis and to pray for that person even when you don't feel like praying for that person. And when you do so, God is going to change your attitude, is going to change your heart towards that person to the point where you are then able to do something good for that person. Mm. So pretty, um, yeah, pretty pretty special uh yeah as the hymn goes oh what peace we often forfeit or oh what um oh what's the next line oh what uh yeah peace we often forfeit or oh what grief we often bear you know your yes. precious savior still our refuge take it to the lord in prayer yes like we have such an ability to as the song says there uh-huh. uh, what a friend we have in jesus like we have the ability to go to god um and it was interesting like the the text that was sent in it you know that people about proving god like people often don't have the desire to like man let's manifest a desire to you know when we're facing grief rather than just dwell in, in it in it, it you know to go to god so that he can bear it like he can help us to forgive like really like i feel like for for you Lyle and for myself like we sit here as as christian people who have, who have experienced this and it's like you know i feel like people on the outside are like oh it's easy for you to say but have you really been through what i've been through and it's like well take it to god like test him he's there he's there waiting for you to come indeed indeed all right so this is a big lesson for us today is to Spend some time in prayer today. Think about those who have done terrible things against us. Think about those people that have, you know, have been living rent-free in our brain, that have been Mm. causing us grief that we bear and that we carry, and take it to Jesus in prayer. Amen. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. It is The Breakfast Show. We're about to have our question of the day. Don't forget that if you would like to put in a question from the, for the day, we would love to hear your question. We would love to answer it right here mm-hmm. on Faith FM Breakfast Show. So do send it through. Our number to call is 0491-064-669. Question of the day. That really snuck up on us. All right, our question of the day is from Brayden. Why did Paul say it was a shame for men to have long hair? Now, this was kind of in response to our uh, one of the quizzes uh, yesterday. The clue, yes. the clue yes. was like, oh, Paul says a woman's hair is like, you know, is this, which was her glory. Um, but Brayden here is, is asking, well, why does... Uh, Paul say that it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Now, I had this verse here a second ago, and I didn't write it down. I think it was 1 Corinthians somewhere. Let me just find it very quickly. Chapter 3, verse... No. Okay. Producer Shell, give us that verse again real quick. 11.15. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 15. There we go. The Bible says, 
In verse 14, in fact, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a shame unto him. Mm. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her hair before her hair is given to her for a covering. Lawson, have you ever had long hair? Not really. Oh, yeah, when I was like a kid. Yeah, I had long hair once. Yeah. Longish, longish hair. I've I've only ever had longish hair, I think. Okay, so the question that then comes up, is it morally wrong for a man to have long hair? Is it morally wrong for a woman to have short hair? Well, clearly that's what the Bible says. (laughs) Oh, there you go. Lawson's not holding back right here this morning. He's just like, well, that's what the Bible says, so go with it. All right, if that is the case, Mm -hmm. then why did God command some men to have long hair? If it's morally wrong for a man to have long hair, why does God command some men to have long hair? Okay, so this is a great example. This is a great example Mm -hmm. right here of where we need to understand cultural context in the Bible. Now, people take this this idea of cultural context too far all the time, and I get that. Mm. But there are some instances in the Bible where you have very, very plain contradictions in Scripture. Mm -hmm. For instance, another one is where Paul says that a woman should not speak in church, and yet you have you know Anna the prophetess who is speaking at the dedication service of Jesus, not just in church, but in the temple itself. Yeah, you know, and so you have these contradictions. These are not actually contradictions. These are different pronouncements given to different cultures. Yes, and the principle behind it, there is a principle behind it, and it's found in Deuteronomy chapter twenty-two. And I'm going to flick over there very quickly. I'm going to come back and address this in just a moment. But in Deuteronomy chapter twenty-two, uh, if we go down to verse five, it says, "The woman shall not wear that which pertains to a man; neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so." are an abomination under the Lord your God. Pretty strong language right there. And basically what God is dealing doing here is uh, very simple instruction um, outlining the distinction of the sexes. Mm. It's like don't, don't go blending the same two together. And that's what Paul is doing, distinction of the sexes. Mm-hmm. He is writing to a Greek Roman culture where men had short hair. Yes. And women had long hair. And he's like, don't go mixing all that kind of stuff up. You know, women in Corinth in that particular time, one of the things that uh, differentiated women was that, you know, they would go, differentiate different classes of women was that the prostitutes would have their head uncovered and have short hair. Mm. And he is, you know, he's, he's just dealing with the differentiation of the sexes within a certain cultural context. Mm. If you then compare that with the Jewish context of that era, Jews who were Jewish men who were living in uh, Judea, not Hellenized Jews, but uh, Jewish men who were live, often had long hair. Yeah, you know, shoulder length hair. That was that was the common style of the day. Was it different from how women grew their hair and displayed their hair? Absolutely, it was. There has always been a distinction between the way men and women uh, do their hair and the way that men and women. Dress that distinction has always existed, but what's interesting is when God says that a man will shall not put on a woman's clothing and a woman shall not put on a man's clothing. God, what God does not do is define what is men's clothing and what is women's clothing because that's going to be different in every culture in which the Bible is read, and God understands that, so He doesn't define it. He just says, "You'll know what the distinction of the sex is. You'll know what is women's clothing and men's clothing. Don't go mixing it up." Mm. It's a really, really simple. Uh, principle that God outlines here and within the context of the church in Corinth it made 
perfect sense at that time. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.